Hello, I'm Olivia Braffman and welcome to If She Can, I Can, the podcast that aims to edge all of us ambitious women that little bit closer to navigating how on earth we get the high-flying career we love and have kids without totally burning yourself out and challenges the role society thinks we're supposed to play in it all. How? By talking each week to inspiring women who have proven the statistic wrong and have done just that. Let's get into it. Today, I'm joined by Natasha Langelbin. Now, I feel like lots of people strive to make an impact in this world and give back, but Natasha is someone who truly has, and she's only just getting started. Her primary role is a social work manager, specializing in care leavers and adolescent safeguarding. She currently holds the position as the local authority contextual safeguarding lead. As if that's not enough, she is also the COO and co-founder of Two Generations, a startup facilitating intergenerational home shares across the UK, where someone older or with a disability who would otherwise be alone gets to live with someone younger for companionship and help around the house. Just the most beautiful concept ever, and I can't wait to hear more. Before this, she founded numerous charities and social enterprises, notably a charity for Crohn's disease, raising almost a million pounds, and also led to her publishing a book on Amazon and winning the award for Cosmopolitan Women of the Year. Somehow in all of this, she is also a wonderful mother to two children, including, correct me if I'm wrong, Natasha, but a seven-month-old. Yeah, <laughs> that is great. Wow. So a huge welcome to the podcast. You're, you're very impressive and actually hugely understated because we spoke beforehand and I feel like you don't quite emphasize just how much you've done yourself versus what your bio reads it's it's pretty amazing that's very kind (laughs) thank you it's always a bit weird hearing it back but yeah thank you it is a bit weird so apologies for that but honestly I feel like you should hear it because it's it's incredible what you've done I think there's a common theme in your career which is this theme around serving others and making an impact and giving back and doing good and kind of everything else under that umbrella I always wonder when that is the theme. Do you think you were influenced by something or someone growing up that's made you into this person that that wanted to go out and help people? That's such a good question. And to be honest, I don't know the answer. I don't think there's anything obvious that I did kind of growing up that makes me think, you know, that one thing or meeting that person made me go down this path. I think the for Crohn's charity, which I started when I was much, much younger. My mum has Crohn's disease. So I think that was obviously a really big trigger to myself and my friends setting up the charity. And that was something we did while we were at school. So I think that was naturally, you know, a motivating factor. Obviously, it was a really personal cause. And it wasn't at that point going to be a charity. It was just a kind of one-off fundraising event. And I think that probably gave me a bit of a buzz in terms of just having that thing that was like ours and our personal success. But before kind of actually changing career into social work, I worked in advertising. So during that time, I wasn't doing anything in terms of I had my side projects, but my main role, you know, wasn't kind of giving back. And actually, it was while I was in advertising, I think it took me some time during that to really think about what I wanted longer term. I've told a few people this, that we did almost like a piece of homework for a brand that was basically looking at, if you look in five years time at your newspaper headline, what would you want it to be? And I remember this really strongly because 
I then thought, well, what would mine be on a personal level? What would I want mine to be? And it was that moment that I think really made me think it wouldn't be anything to do with what I'm doing now in advertising. I'm not going to get to make that kind of headline through remaining in this career. And that's, I think, what kind of started to push me to look at other options. Mm. What would you want the headline to be then compared to what it was at the time versus what maybe the thing was that you would have been happy with what do you think it was it was something at that point to do with homeless people I mean which as hasn't actually ended up kind of my main area although I have done some work in that field it was like I, I don't think I had something specific but it was some very cheesy thing about just making a massive difference to the homeless community and I think generally I was like I'm not going to do any of this obviously working in advertising as fun as it was but I think it just started steering me into okay if I want something a bit more purposeful what might that look like and it took me quite a while to settle on social work and kind of change career but yeah I think that moment was quite a defining one for me. Mm. Really there's two themes one you've got this theme of giving back and, and kind of doing good and clearly that was your maybe North Star guiding light when someone said, what's the headline that you want? Actually, you wanted it to be something in and around giving back and doing good. And and that just wasn't the world that you were in at the time. But it's also this sort of entrepreneurial element as well, because there's lots of people that want to give back. So they go and raise some money for charity, or they maybe they go and volunteer for charities, but not many people say, I'm going to start one. Or, you know, and you've had a few things actually that you've started yourself and you've got this kind of entrepreneurial kind of flair going on in and around what you do where does that come from do you think I don't know but I know that I think when we set up for Crohn's I just loved it I just loved the kind of the buzz and the excitement and on a selfish level I think it's a kick isn't it I guess it's the same kind of kick you get you know people who are you know when you're into social media and you get the likes and you get the all of that. I think it's that same feeling like when we set up the fundraising events, it was, wow, people are applying to take part in an event that I organised, like this is my baby type thing. And I think for many, many years while we ran that, so around the charity for I think about 16 years, there was that buzz that never went away. And it's just really exciting to have that sense of control as well. Like it's your thing. So you can you you can take it in the direction you want, change it the way you want. And yeah, I, I, do, I do love that. Mm. So I guess it's four Crohn's that it was the two things that was, oh my God, it feels awesome to be doing something so amazing for a really worthwhile cause. It's really close to my heart, but also it's something I own, can control, put my name to, yeah, has a legacy attached to it. You know, I guess that, that one thing that you did when you were at school probably was a really big influence on then everything else that sort of came after it because it gave you those two things I want to go back to you as a social worker so as you said you're working in advertising and then you you went through a bit of a process if you want to sort of land on what was going to be the thing that you ultimately do that's a little bit more purposeful maybe what was it about that line of work that appealed to you and something that you said to me sort of stuck with me which was if you haven't ever had a social worker in your life it's often a job you don't know anything about. I mean, if you said to me, what does a social worker do? I wouldn't be able to give you a really articulate answer because I don't know. So I guess for people that don't know, what is it? And then what what was it that appealed to you about doing a role like that? So I think like when I first realized I wanted to change career and I wanted to, you know, make a difference, so to speak, I was torn between counseling and social work. And I was just doing loads of research. Like I literally was reading the blogs and the trade magazines and I was on Twitter loads and 
just looking at what people were doing in the field. And I settled on social work because I think I was particularly passionate about kind of working with young people. The adolescent age was just really interesting to me at that time. And if you ask what social workers do, it's so broad. There are so many different types of social workers. So it's not kind of one answer because you could be a social worker working in child protection working with kind of, you know, families and children at risk, or you could be working with older people or people with mental health um, difficulties. So there's such a big spectrum. For me personally, I kind of got my dream job after I completed my master's, which at the time was working with children in care. It appealed to me because it was about building long-term relationships. I wanted to work with a young person, not just see them a few times, but really kind of build that relationship. So I did that quite a few years and then moved into management and ended up as a team manager for care leavers. So that's young people who are age 18 to 25 who have grown up in care and are now kind of transitioning from care into we call it kind of the young people are called care experienced, essentially, you know, they have an experience of the care system. And it's how they navigate leaving the care setting that they were in, whether that's a foster family or a residential home, etc. into so called independence. It's a really, really challenging time. So I loved that. I absolutely loved that whole area and trying to make a difference. And I think one of the reasons that that really appealed to me was because Again, there was the opportunity to be a bit creative and innovative with the way we were working. So together with the amazing team that I worked with, we set up a hub, what we called the hub, which was basically to kind of try and tackle isolation for care leavers. Lots of people live on their own, just try and bring them together more often to meet more regularly, look at social events, look at our WhatsApp group, things that are quite basic, but which didn't exist before. So there were real opportunities to do things a bit differently. And I just was in constant awe of the young people that I worked with. So I think especially now as a parent, you know, I know how difficult it is to parent parent and parent I'm lucky enough to parent with my husband etc and some of these young people were single parents were teenagers and were amazing amazingly brave and resilient and yeah I think it was a very inspiring world yeah and it sounds like your research paid off you ended up going into a role that actually you love and you still love and it's something that's really important to you and I think that's really difficult I come across so many people that maybe don't love the job they're in but they don't know what else to do. And how do you even get to a point where you've narrowed it down? What was your tactics at the time? Are you just researching anything and everything? Like, how did you how did you start kind of narrowing your search ultimately to social work, you think? I mean, it was really kind of almost like quite a boring answer, but I think I used to sit on my job websites and put in keywords and look at what came up to just give me an idea of what was out there because I really didn't know. And then when I found like some themes like, oh, okay, I keep seeing social work or I keep seeing counselling, then do more research into actually what does that look like? What's, you know, and like specific things, what's the pay? How do you get into it? What's, you know, all of those kind of things. But I have to also say that I was incredibly privileged that I was able at the point that I changed career to live at home. I didn't have kind of some of the responsibilities like now when you're older, perhaps you have children, bills to pay, etc., wouldn't be able to have done that but I had the opportunity to go back home and live you know with my family so that I could afford to do this master's where I wasn't really on any income or very small kind of bursary so it's not and you know that option isn't available for everybody but I was really fortunate to be able to do it and it did feel like one of the scariest things I've done because 
I just felt like this, I'm taking a bit of a punt here. Like I'm doing it based on some research and I managed to get a little bit of work experience shadowing a few people in the social work. But we're talking about days, maybe a couple of weeks. And then I was kind of giving up my whole career and starting a two-year master's. So I think it was definitely one of the scariest things I've done. And I I did worry a lot during it. What happens if at the end of this, I just don't like social work or I'm not good at it? So I guess now it's easy to look back and go, it was like definitely the right thing. But at the time, I definitely had doubts. Yeah, I think so many people are questioning, should I be doing something else? And I always think there's risk in doing something, but there's also risk in doing nothing. Like, what's the risk if you in 20 years time have a headline you know in a paper where you're really dissatisfied with it and you think well I should have done something like there's a risk in staying definitely and I guess it's just weighing up what's most important and I guess for you career has always been important were you always intending to have a big career so as you were younger and you were sort of dreaming up you know what might I be when I'm older or just envisaging your life was having a career and being a working mother always part of that expectation or vision yeah I mean I don't think I ever growing up would have thought about the working alongside parenting thing just in in the sense that I think you don't actually start thinking about how any of that will work until maybe you are a mother or you're really close to thinking about that so I definitely didn't think about the two combined but I think I was always ambitious and I always wanted a career. What that looked like would have been different at different ages. I know for a long time it was, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be, like There were different things. But I think, yes, I think I've always wanted to do something that excites me and kind of where I can progress and make some kind of impact. Mm. And obviously in the line of work you're in, so you're in social work, you're, you're working with children, vulnerable people often, and going through a very kind of big transitional point of their lives, it sounds like. What are the kind of really tough things that you are having to deal with? It sounds like it's really not something that would appeal to everyone. Like it's tough, the situations that you're put into and helping other people navigate. What are the kind of things that you're up against? I mean, for sure, like it's definitely not for everyone. And I mean, there's been a whole range when I used to work with younger children and, you know, seeing them leaving foster homes, like moving from place to place was really difficult to see, although often for positive transitions, you know, moving to adoptive families, etc. But it was still emotional at the time. Now, I specialise in adolescence. It's called contextual safeguarding, which would mean nothing to anyone outside of social work. But basically, it's young people who are at risk of harm outside of the home. So exploitation, gangs, serious youth violence, things like that, which is obviously all really intense topics. And yeah, there can be some really challenging circumstances, young people going missing, trying to get to the bottom of what's happening for them. I'm really passionate about that age group and about the kind of world of early intervention, which actually is consistent in the work I do with two generations as well, but really just trying to work out how we can support people at an earlier stage and trying to kind of build confidence and self-esteem and look at relationships and support networks that young people have and role models that they have to try and support them when they're confronted with some of these situations. I think it's very easy to see some of these young people and basically say, they made this decision or they're making poor decisions or just to look at the situation like exploitation and think that's got nothing to do with me like that would never happen to anyone I know and 
Um, sadly, that's not the case. You know, it crosses all ages, classes, faiths, etc. So it's something that can really happen anywhere. And I think like raising awareness of it and working with schools and different agencies, like it's it's so interesting and also yeah, obviously upsetting as well. But yeah, I'm really passionate about it. Yeah. And what is the life of Natasha look like? So if you're a social worker doing what you do and specializing what you do, are you saying behind the desk? Are you in the car out on the road every day? Is it varied? Are you up and down the country? What's day to day life like for you? It's different now, not least I'm on maternity leave, but like prior to that. So when I was a social worker, as opposed to working in management, then yes, I was on the road and I kind of had a caseload. So a number of young people I was working with and I'd be in the car or on the train kind of around the country visiting young people and obviously doing lots of paperwork as we all know with these roles sitting behind a desk kind of writing up reports etc but yeah I was out and about a lot now most of what I do is behind a desk I'm working in more of a kind of consultant capacity so I'm supporting other workers to look at the young people that they're working with and think about what advice I have, what resources I can come up with to help support them with their young people. Or I'm chairing complex meetings with police and schools to look at an incident that might have happened and try and work out how we can do like safety plans for young people. So now it's much more I'm working with others, but I'm more kind of desk based but previously I was more on the road so I guess when you had your first child were you kind of on the road then were you still working as a social worker then versus management I think I was somewhere between being a senior social worker and a manager I can't actually remember if I'm honest but I definitely was kind of out and about a bit when I was pregnant I remember because I set up this hub that I spoke about while I was pregnant I remember going to events seeing like the young people and they were like obviously all aware I was pregnant and so were asking lots about that etc um so I was definitely out about seeing young people I can't remember if I was holding cases at that time So what was your journey like into motherhood? How did you approach it from a work perspective in terms of planning, getting pregnant, actually having the baby? Do you take time off? How are you you and your partner sort of dividing and conquering all the necessary things that need to happen to have children? What's your situation? So I think working for a council, which I do as a social worker, it definitely is a bit easier than like some other roles in terms of there was some flexibility and the kind of set hours, although no one works, you know, the set hours in any role, but the set hours are not quite as, you know, as bad, I suppose, as they were in the private sector, I found. But that was also, I think, once I'd reached management level in that I could clock off and then I could check my emails. But if I was still a social worker, it would have been more challenging because you can be out, you know, you're dealing with crisis, you could be out. So I think that would have been harder. I think it was at a good point in my career in that sense. I'd achieved, you know, some of the progression that I'd wanted. I was in a more stable setting. Yeah, I took most of a year off for maternity leave with my eldest and I got a bit of flexibility when I went back so I kept my I went back full time but I did some compressed hours so I had um, Friday afternoons off because I really wanted to spend time with Jesse in the week as well and it worked really well also my husband is really hands-on 
and was working relatively locally. Yeah, we really do share parenting, essentially. I'm very fortunate. I don't know whether I should say I'm really fortunate because I feel like that's how it should be. But like... That is... I know, I know. It feels like you should say that, but you're right. Yeah. There's no reason why it should be like that. He is a great dad and he is very involved. So it's made easier, I guess, that his job at the moment is not too far away. And then obviously COVID struck not that long after I came back from maternity leave. So I literally went back into the office in the January and it was shut down in the March. So I'd barely been back and then was back home again and had all the the challenges that everyone else had around working out how you do a job with a child at home, nurseries closed, etc. So mm. yeah. Was Jesse otherwise in nursery full time when you went back to work? So he went to nursery three days a week and then I had grandparents support the other days. Yeah. I find it really interesting something you said, which was I'd reached a certain level in my career. It almost felt like I've done the key things I need to do so I can kind of take this time to go and have children. And I think that's a really interesting concept because I think a lot of people battle with this now, particularly when generally people are having kids a little bit later, is anytime you have a child, even though it should be as you say, completely shared responsibility. There is a lot of onus on the woman, just physically you are the pregnant person that has to carry the child and yeah. and go through birth and, and if you're feeding and, and all things, all the kind of demands like that. I think some people question, do I wait and get to a certain point in my career where I feel like I can have that disruption? I hate to call it that. Or do I try and have children earlier and just sort of take all the time off and and get all those years over and done with and then focus on my career afterwards if your career is something that's really important to you. I kind of question myself, I don't know if there is a right way or a wrong way, but it's just interesting that you said I'd reach a certain level because I think that's something that a lot of people are trying to do. And sometimes it gets to a point where they then can't have children yeah. because maybe they've waited a little bit too long and, and it just doesn't work out like that. Yeah, I definitely don't think like there's a right or wrong answer to this. And often also things can happen unexpectedly. Like you can just be offered that dream job at the point that you just thought you were going to, you know, try for a baby or, you know, whatever. So I I was at the right point in my career, but also I don't think it was just driven by that. Like I think it kind of worked in terms of like my relationship in terms of like when we'd got married and when we'd had time to be a couple and you know all of that so it kind of was just the right time in that stage but I think also I was in quite a stable part of my career in that sense like I wasn't looking to change jobs I wasn't looking to leave my job or change roles which I think from like friends and things I think that's a really difficult thing because if you're thinking of changing jobs you're not going to be eligible for maternity leave etc so there's often lots of different things that factor but for me at that point I was really happy where I was and so I was like this is a good time for me to, I want to say, take a break because it definitely doesn't feel like a break when you're not, you know, not sleeping for a year. But yeah, you know, <laughs> take that and that time off of work. And it sounds like it hasn't impacted your progression. You've climbed the ranks up to that you're now in the kind of management level now in what you do. Do you think it's had any impact on your progression? Yes, maybe not with Jesse, um, but I think this time round, it does in terms of a like there's no getting around the fact that essentially kind of you lose time so to speak like if I was working this year would I you know I'd be gaining more experience whether I would be applying for a more senior role or whether I'd naturally just be building that you know more experience etc when you take the time off you pause your time at that organization and also I think 
it calls other things into question. For example, I know like where I work, there are roles above me where you need to be in the office more, where, you know, there might be less flexibility around school pickup, etc. So I think it definitely changes things like that in terms of where you might have made the decisions that apply for certain roles. You don't feel able to do that or you don't think it will be as easy to do that if you want to be around for your children. I definitely think that it has an impact. It hasn't been like an obvious, oh, I can't go for this job because I'm a mum, you know. I think most people would be able to see some way that their career has been impacted by becoming a mum. Do you think it's changed your ambition level? You said you were really ambitious. You know, now you've got, I don't know, kids that clearly, you know, you want to spend time with, you want to be there for pickup, you want to put them to bed and have dinner with them and all these things. Do you think that's flexed at all? I think it's where two generations has come in, to be honest, to help with that, because I think I have been more kind of accepting of the fact that actually you have to sometimes realise you're at different stages in your life and that the next few years are probably my being a mum stage so that isn't to say I can't have a career and I absolutely think I can but it's probably not the time when I'm going to I don't know push myself to apply for certain things or climb the ladder and maybe the way that I would have tried to if certain things weren't as important to me and the reality is like my eldest is starting school in September and even with flexible employment, it's almost impossible to do school pickups without after school club, etc. And I already, you know, have the mum guilt to this be that he'll be in after school club three days a week. And that's despite the fact I have quite a flexible career. So it's really important to me to be able to do pickups and to do bedtime and stuff. That's a personal thing. That's not a judgment. That's just for me. So I think I've accepted that, yeah, there are definitely certain things that I just wouldn't now apply for or, or put myself forward for. But I think that's where having that kind of side hustle, so to speak, allows me to use some of my ambition to achieve things and do things that are really fascinating to me in my kind of own time. Let's talk about that because it's so interesting, this new venture. So two generations, as you said, I gave a little intro at the start of this. But in your words, what is it? How did this come about? So Two Generations is a home share scheme, basically. I mean, you pretty much summed it up. It matches typically older people, but not always older people, with younger people. I say younger as opposed to young, because we sometimes have people in their 60s who are younger than someone in their 90s. To live together, essentially looking at kind of lots of, combating lots of different social challenges. So one main one is isolation for older people. And this fact that older people might feel like they need to move out of their home because they aren't able to remain living alone, but actually don't want to leave their home. And the idea is to be able to give them the overnight companionship and support to remain independent in their own home. At that earlier stage, so maybe they're not needing care yet, or they do have a carer come in, but this can complement that because for a lot of people, they can't afford like a full-time carer and they don't necessarily need it, but they do want the overnight presence of someone being there if they fell or just to help them cook a meal in the evening or watch TV with them. And similarly, for younger people, the price of house rental is prohibitive for a lot of people. And so this provides more affordable accommodation for them whilst giving back and, yeah, forming intergenerational friendships. So that's what it is. Can I just ask, is this something that ever existed before? Or is this something that you thought this is just sort of a bit of a genius concept that makes so much sense from so many different angles? So basically, my co-founder, Sam, who's the CEO, he approached me with this idea because he had this like amazing grandmother who sadly passed away, but was like doing table tennis 
um, championships in her 90s and insane things. And he basically thought she could have really shared her wisdom with a lot of people and she lived alone and that's really sad. So he came to me with this idea, partly because I was a social worker and he wanted that kind of safeguarding element. And also because through my experience running for Crohn's and this other homeless social enterprise, he knew that I'd kind of done entrepreneurial stuff, so to speak. At the time, we didn't know that it existed. And obviously, when we did our research, it does exist. And there are other home share schemes, but it's still very small in the UK It's more widely known outside the UK. And that's starting to change slowly. But the main thing that we found is the man on the street has not heard of it. And that's the biggest challenge, because those that have think it's a really good idea. And um, we've had kind of lots of national press and a great response to it, and are now kind of matching people up and down the country. But it's still in its infancy and I think it's got a lot of quite exciting potential Mm. you are the COO of this social enterprise you have two children you have a full-time job you're on maternity leave at the moment which will present certain opportunities to sort of help more I guess now but how are you currently finding the time to work on two generations and everything else that you've got going on Like you said, maternity leave has definitely presented the opportunity to do a lot more, which I've really enjoyed. Just a bit of kind of freedom to get involved in many more meetings and yeah, just think about it a lot more. Prior to that, I guess partly, as I said, like because I've always done stuff, like I've always done, whether it's for Crohn's or Linky, this homeless social enterprise I was doing for a while or this, it's been the norm for me kind of forever to have some aside project. And it is like a hobby, I guess, if you are somebody how they'd find time to fit in a hobby, they would. And I think, I know that that kind of sounds weird, but I think for me, it is genuinely something I love. And I do think of it a bit like that. Luckily, we're at the stage where we have members of staff doing the kind of operational day-to-day. So like the assessing and matching is all being kind of taken care of. And I'm line managing that, but it's more strategically. So, you know, in evenings and weekends, I can take a look at what's been going on and catch up and make kind of strategic decisions, so to speak, and work with the CEO to work out, you know, what we need next to grow. Also, sometimes a lot of the press we've had, as an example, has come from me, like in my spare time, sitting thinking, actually, I think we've got a really good hooker. We've got this lovely case study at the moment and sitting on Twitter of an evening, literally sending messages to producers of shows that has ended up working wonders. Like, we, you know, we've had some really fantastic national press. So I think you don't realise quite how much you can achieve like outside of working hours. And it doesn't have to be working till 2am. I'm not a night bird in that sense at all. You can spend half an hour and an hour just doing that and then end up going, we just got a piece on Sky News. So I think I'm quite focused on what I want to do. And I love it, as I said, which helps. But yeah, it's just using pieces of time to focus on certain tasks and having obviously a great team and kind of clear remits between us. I think also something I'm taking from this is that Twitter is great. I don't even have Twitter. I I feel like I don't really know that many people that use Twitter, but you've got lots of research and um, information about social work way back when on Twitter. And I feel like now you're getting all your press on Twitter for two generations. I feel like people need to go on Twitter and get more stuff done. Clearly, I'm like, I'm missing a trick. Turns out I'm doing advertising for Elon Musk in this podcast. Uh, 
not quite not yeah. my intentions. But yeah, I mean, Twitter has been like, social media is obviously like, a, you know, a great resource. I'm not saying anything new here, but yeah, Twitter has been really useful. It was really useful in social work, actually, and remains so. Just following people in your field, I think, and constantly seeing articles that have been posted, I find between LinkedIn and Twitter, it's definitely like an amazing way to, to keep up to date, especially now on maternity leave as well, to keep up to date with things. But yeah, I just think you can be quite effective in short kind of bursts. If you love it, I think that's the thing. The fact that you're calling it a hobby. So in the same way that people would go to the gym, play golf, I don't know, name another hobby, you're probably equating the same amount of time into doing that. It never feels like you're probably never resenting putting time into it because you enjoy it so much. And and really, it's just about finding the things that bring you fulfillment because then you don't ever feel like you're doing two jobs. And I think also because it's mine, I'm not being made to do it. And that obviously makes a massive difference. I'm not having to go, oh my God, it's eight o'clock and I need to like log on to work and do, you know, that's very different. It's more like me going, oh, I've actually had a really good idea for something we can do. And I've got a bit of time and I'm going to go a bit crazy and contact loads of people about it because I believe in it and I want to make it happen. It's much more about that. And I think that's where, yeah, you don't mind maybe as such working those hours if it's your thing and also if you've got a goal like you know obviously we want to grow it and we don't know whether that will happen but there's some exciting things that have just started to happen and like we've just had our first partnership with one of the age uk branches which is fantastic and you know we've had our first kind of partnership with the council like some stuff is happening that that gives you that buzz and makes you want to kind of keep going etc and when you start to see new people joining our team who are We've got some, you know, really fantastic people. It gives you the drive to want to keep kind of building. Is it the mission that is driving that? Is it the fact that you can just see so many people be less lonely in X number of years and or so many more people have more affordable accommodation? You know, what what is the thing that's other than you just enjoy kind of having something that's yours? And obviously there's there's a huge element to give you back. What ultimately is driving this particular project for you? I think there's a few different things. I think definitely that, like the fact that I think it's exciting because it's like a new market. It's not like you're just going in and going, oh yeah, there's 50 other people doing this and we're just going to do it as well, but a bit cheaper or whatever. It's like, actually, it feels like it's such an untapped market. And when we're doing things, we're doing it for the first time. It's the first time any social enterprise has ever worked with Age UK to run their home share service. Like everything we're doing is for the first time and is new. And when we're talking to councils, we're talking to like these big players who have never done this before. So that for me, that's really exciting, just the kind of innovative side of it, the creativity, I suppose. Also, obviously, like, the, the impact that it can have is just huge. I mean, some of the stories that we get, we had someone recently where the householder sadly passed away and the son got in contact with us saying how like the end of their life was completely transformed by having this amazing sharer. And we have so many like that. So seeing that kind of real life impact is amazing because we also, we pivoted last year to do we're still doing it but mainly last year to doing lots for homes for ukraine and again the buzz there ultimately homes for ukraine started and we just went well actually that's what we do for home share all the time we assessed families we assess accommodation we matched people i wonder if we could help and suddenly we were commissioned by harrow council to support them and in the space of about four weeks it was about four of us working at that time and like at that point I was working full time so was my co-founder he was actually just going on honeymoon at our busiest period and um, really inconvenient <laughs> <Can't find these laughs> things. and um, 
we basically ended up recruiting about 20 people to be assessors, get them all trained up and be ready to go and kind of completely in this new field within a matter of weeks and have now assessed hundreds and hundreds of homes for Harrow Council. And so I think just being able to like pivot like that and just do something like, yeah, it's it's exciting to be able to do that and to, yeah, to have hopefully some real impact over the coming years. Yeah. What I love is that I think a lot of us have these kind of itches or desire to do something beyond our full-time job even if we love what we do maybe it's just like a curiosity elsewhere and I think it's not necessarily realistic for most people to just sort of pack in their day job and just start that new thing full-time because like you said we have other responsibilities when we're parents generally financially or we can't unless we've got the privilege of tons of money or a partner with loads of financial backing that we can do that which isn't most people's realities you just can't do that and we have to bring in an income I guess you found a way where you can keep the job you love earn the income you need from that but kind of scratch the I want to have something that's mine that's still giving back that's entrepreneurial and innovative itch which I think lots of people listening would also have but you've done it in a way that's sort of de-risked and benefits both sides like I guess do you see it that way yeah I mean I definitely think like you said financially we've just never been in a situation where it's even an option to quit a job even to go down work hours like just none of that is an option for us personally I think it's not for many people for sure and I think it makes it really difficult entrepreneurially to do something because finding the time and not all businesses obviously you can do on the side but I think it is remarkable how much you can do on the side and you know get set set up and certainly for the first few years when a lot of what we were doing was I guess the less interesting part of like you know writing all the copy for our website and getting all our policies set up and testing our procedures and having that first case study that was all stuff you know, where we were meeting evenings and weekends, just writing it out and getting to a point where actually we felt we could take on a member of staff for five hours a week to start operationally doing what we needed during working hours. And that person is now kind of our head of service and working pretty much full time with a team under her, etc. So yeah, I think it can be done. But obviously, it depends on circumstances and the nature of the business and everything. I've been fortunate that my co-founder had slightly different circumstances to me, we had different things that we were able to give. But I definitely think for a lot of people, it's not realistic to just say, oh, I can just, you know, just go and start a business and quit everything else. And often it takes a while to actually bring any income into that new venture. So, you know, how do you keep food on the table and a roof above your head? And it becomes impossible. But I love that you sort of found a way to do both. Because I think for those people that have that thing, but haven't sort of known where to start, or if it's even possible to do both, there are things that you, like you say, I always think mums are just another level of efficiency. I don't know if that's just my interpretation, but I thought I was efficient before. I'm like, I have learned new ways of efficiency since becoming a mother that I just didn't even know were possible. Like the smallest number of minutes in a day that I have free for whatever reason. I've never been so efficient in those few minutes than I have now because they can't, they're so few and far between that I'm doing five things at the same time. It's kind of amazing. I think also COVID allowed people to see that juggling these things is okay. 
like as an, it's okay to say like at the moment I'm on maternity leave so I'm joining lots of meetings but I'm also got my camera off and I'm like I'm, you know I'm here and I'm listening and I'm taking part but I've got a baby in the background everyone just seems fine about that and I, you know I chaired a big meeting the other day walking around the house carrying my baby and you know I think now it's a bit more acceptable and kind of normalized that actually people have a family at home and might be doing that but that doesn't mean that I can't make good contributions to a meeting at the same time yeah it's very true actually it's much more normalized which actually is a huge help to all of those mothers that don't need to hide their home life anymore it's like fine people know what's going on I want to talk about success because I think it means so many different things to different people and clearly well not clearly I mean I get the impression from you that success isn't necessarily guided by how much money some like you might have or how many expensive things you might own like what does success mean to you clearly you're ambitious so there's an I'm striving to be successful I want to be a successful person but what does that person look like in in your head that is a really good question because I think an honesty I think you often do equate it financially not for myself but in the sense of like when I look around you would naturally go oh that person with the big house or the expensive car or whatever they're really successful type thing and I think that might be part of the reason that to some extent I wouldn't look at myself and go oh I'm really successful because I don't have those things I mean it's all relative don't get me wrong you know I love my house but like you know you're you're always going to look at other people and say yeah I think the people I admire are often people who've done things themselves like you know you see people who are like yeah I, I dropped out of school at this age and now I run this business and I manage 70 people or hundreds of people and it's become this and I'm just like wow I think that's amazing I think when I look at other people the people who I view as the most successful are often people who have achieved something themselves in that sense for me I think it's a really good question in terms of what I would have to do to say this is a success or I think it's quite hard because you've got to have like reached some amazing milestone like that's in my head like when I look at people around me and so in my kind of main job I would go you know I definitely wouldn't view that as like a success in the sense that sorry that's not it's I'm I think it's accepted a successful in that you're good at your job like I think I'm a good social worker and that is successful but I wouldn't say it's anything out of the ordinary like I think in that sense I am a good social worker and there are a lot of other good social workers kind of up and down the country so I think sometimes you think of success as someone who is above and beyond I don't yeah I'm really waffling with this answer because I don't know I don't think there's no it's so hard yeah there's not an easy response (laughs) Generally, growing up, society tells us to equate it to the nice things that people have. So the one with the biggest house, with the nicest car that goes on the most holidays is the most successful. And then I think as you get a bit older, if I were to look at someone like you and everything you've achieved and the impact you've had on the world, and also even that aside, how passionate and happy and fulfilled you are by the stuff that you're doing, I think it's such a personal thing. But I now equate it, and particularly speaking to so many women, much more towards who's fulfilled by what they do and who's passionate about what they do yeah. and who finishes a day feeling proud of that. And like they've made an impact much more to the person than the person that's just got nice things. That is a really nice way of articulating it. I think for, like you're right, the fulfillment side of it is huge in terms of like personal success. I do think it's really hard to get that. Like as in, I think, yeah, I feel really lucky in the sense that the combination of the things that I'm doing do mean that at the moment I am really fulfilled. And I think we all, there's lots of us that are like, 
always looking at kind of what's next and you know etc et and I think that's a downside like it's good in that obviously it drives us forward but also sometimes kind of hearing what you're saying back gives me an opportunity to go actually yeah you're right you know I think we don't always like stop and just take stock of where we are and go actually like you know this is a good place and have you thought about the fact that you know these things are bringing fulfillment etc I don't I, I don't think we're always good at just kind of stopping and seeing that I think particularly ambitious people that are generally always have their eye to the next thing. It is really difficult to stop and pause. I want to end on a bit of a reflective note because I'm kind of fascinated, particularly like with your level of ambition. And also, I guess with two generations, it's still in early stages. There's so much that can still happen, which is really, really exciting. Plus, you've got young family. So there's lots of kind of future to have with that. How do you see the future? Like, what does the future look like to Natasha, if you could hope for anything? Oh, God. <laughs> and I guess personal, professional, everything is a blend because you're not two different people. To some extent, I suppose more of the same in the sense that I would like to continue to be fulfilled in what I'm doing, whatever that might be. And I'd like to, you know, I really would love to grow two generations and see it have a bigger and bigger impact across the country I do think as I said it has the potential for that to happen so that excites me a lot I hope to continue to be able to to kind of grow within social work as well I don't know exactly what that looks like but I know that as I said like I love working with young people but also try and find the balance and like I don't think anything will change in that I really want to be able to do bedtime every night and like you know, when I say every night, I'm sure there might be the odd night, but generally like that is really important. I want to be able to talk to my kids about their day and what's worrying them and, you know, see them in the mornings. And um, I will always take career decisions based on that for me personally. So I'd like to hope spending more and more time kind of watching them grow up whilst also trying to have an impact on you know with the rest of it is the balance I'm trying to get alongside women everywhere so you know it's not unique but that's yeah I think that's for me just continuing to try and make that balance work and I think it's also really important to say whilst this is about women I wouldn't be able to do all of this if I didn't have a equally kind of supportive husband so I think ultimately he's also had to make a lot of compromises from a work point of view and I think often it's the women that do but actually you know he has as well and you know to try and be as flexible as possible so that we are able to share the load so to speak and I I think if that wasn't the case if he was in a job that was working every hour I wouldn't be able to do like some of what I want to do as well so yeah, I think it's just important to note that not everything is in your control. Like sometimes it's also about the circumstances in that sense too. Mm. And look, I think that is really, really important to address because ultimately, whether it's a supportive husband or family or friends or, you know, paid for help, yeah, it takes a small army to raise kids. Absolutely. Whoever the people are that are contributing to raising them and no one can do it alone. Yeah. Even if you're a single parent, you're not doing it alone. There needs to be help somewhere that's supporting you to do that. And you're lucky you have a brilliant husband to do it. And everyone's got to find what their supportive network looks like to be able to kind of get through it. Because it's really, really tough. I think it is really important to address. And thank you for talking today. I've learned loads. It's refreshing to talk to someone that A, is so fulfilled by what they do, still has so much mission to accomplish, is also really lovely. But I think also you're not... 100% kind of going for this career to the detriment necessarily of your 
children, actually the fact that your children are taking such a huge priority in your life is also equally refreshing. And yet you've still got all of these awesome achievements and ventures and things going on in and around being able to be that present as a mother. And I think that for a lot of people will be the ultimate goal. So thank you for sharing how you're doing it because it will help a lot of people. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please don't forget to leave me a quick review and subscribe. It helps us reach a bigger audience of women more than you know. And if there is an awesome individual who needs to share their story on this podcast, I would love to hear from you. My details are in the description below. I will see you next week.